Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, two days before the fifth Sunday of the regular season. Peter King, Mike Florio here on Peacock, Series XM211. The re-air on NBCSN, which begins at 9 Eastern. This will be 10 Eastern if you're enjoying the program on NBCSN, or I guess technically even if you're not enjoying it, it's still 10 Eastern as you start the second hour. Uh, Hello to our friends in the UK and Ireland who'll see the program on Sky Sports and anyone who may listen on the podcast. Peter, uh, some news that that has emerged, and this is about the window every day. This This is the PCR test result window where... Pretty much everyone who covers the sport on a national basis tells us per source that there were negatives or there were positives. And there's a flood of <laughs> tweets from 20 different reporters as to the day's crop report. It's like the it's like the crop report from Trading Places. We're waiting for Clarence Beaks every morning between 7.30 and 8 o'clock Eastern. And we now know that the Titans, no new positives, which is positive, And the Patriots, no new positives either. It keeps everything on track, but it doesn't mean that anyone's out of the woods, especially New England. Do not assume that everything is fine and dandy now because Stephon Gilmore tested positive on Tuesday morning, which means he was quite possibly shedding virus on the plane home Monday night. And in that locker room, that's about a thousand square feet at Arrowhead Stadium. He was around other players and they may still be in the incubation period. They could still test positive tomorrow or Sunday or Monday in theory, although they don't, they typically don't test on game days. They'll probably test the Patriots on Monday, and so and that could derail everything, Peter. So it, they're not out of the woods yet. I think the important thing to realize, Mike, last Sunday while writing my column, I wanted to reach out to an infectious disease specialist. I happen to know one, wife of a of a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Celine Gounder, and uh, Dr. Gounder is an infectious disease specialist at NYU uh, Langham Hospital in New York, told me that when you get exposed to the virus, it's usually on average four to five days after that exposure that the average person would test positive if they catch the virus. So what that means in this particular case, I'm assuming that Stefan Gilmore's test was taken on Tuesday morning, okay, in Foxborough. Then they find out late Tuesday night. So what that means is that, you know, Tuesday morning, midnight, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., whatever time they're on the plane. Now we go forward four or five days. What is that four or five days? That's That's Saturday or Sunday. So I'm not saying that anybody has it or that anybody... Uh, that there's going to be an outbreak. I don't know. Probably not. But what I am saying is the New England Patriots are not out of the woods yet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's amazing how many people 
don't fully understand that. And setting aside why people don't understand basic information like that that should have been shared with us from the get-go back in March, there is a lag. Just because you're negative today doesn't mean you're going to be negative tomorrow. And I've had people say, oh, I'm fine. I was tested. When were you tested? Last week. Well, that doesn't mean you're fine today. That just means you didn't have it the day that that and it doesn't mean you you weren't incubating it the day that you gave the sample. And you think about this. And remember, the Patriots took two planes. So Stefan Gilmore was on the plane with the people who had close contact with Cam Newton. Those other people who had close contact with Cam Newton ended up having close contact, relatively speaking, on the same plane with Stefan Gilmore. And that locker room in Kansas City, I mean, there's been plenty of complaints I've gotten this week from coaches about how small the visiting team locker rooms are. Chris talked yesterday about the the locker room in Kansas City, how you can't get dressed at your locker. Everyone's cramped together there. So Gilmore was there. He was with Patrick Mahomes face mask to face mask after the game. Mahomes is still in that incubation period, potentially. So just because everything's negative today does not mean it's not going to take a turn. We hope it doesn't, but we need people to be aware. We're not going to act like it doesn't exist. People get mad when we talk about it, Peter. Like, we should just ignore it. Like, ignore it and it'll go away. Well, that's not the way it works. If we haven't learned that lesson by now, we never will. But that's not the way it works. Yeah. It's like, it's like the letter I got to my column this week, Mike, from a guy who said, why do you write so much about football? You know you don't want these games to be played. <laughs> and I said, yeah. oh, okay, I'm going to now go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and mail in my column, okay, instead of staying up till 3.30 and writing about a lot of stuff going on in the league because don't you remember, I don't care about football and I don't want it to be played. It's uh, it's a funny thing that people think sometimes. Oh, we, we get feedback all week. Why are you talking about it? Because it's the top story in the league. They're dealing with an outbreak, <laughs> an obvious outbreak in one city. They're worried about an outbreak in another city. And now in Kansas City, they're holding their breath to see whether or not the breath exchanged by Stephon Gilmore and Patrick Mahomes may have gotten Mahomes infected. Another another crop report. Clarence Beeks is back. He's going to get a third check this week from Duke and Duke. No new positives in Kansas City either. Remember, they had a quarterback last week, Jordan Tamu, who was positive. They've had no positives since then. And most importantly, given the interaction with the Patriots on Monday night, and specifically Stephon Gilmore, no new positives. But again, incubation period, people. Don't forget that. It takes four or five days for the virus to accumulate to the point where you test positive. All right, let's talk about some teams that do not have any issues with the pandemic, at least not yet. Pennsylvania, the two teams fighting it out this weekend, as they do once every four years, the Eagles at the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, the Steelers were not dominant in any of their first three games, Peter, and they didn't beat teams that have done really all that much this year. They they beat the Giants, who are winless. They beat the Broncos, who have one win over a winless Jets team. They beat the Texans, who are now 0-4 and have fired their coach slash GM. How are the Steelers really going to look? I'm curious about this, especially with an unscheduled bye that, that has left some of the players seemingly a little salty about what happened last week. Yeah, Mike, you know what is strange about the Steelers? The Steelers came back this year with their pretty much their full complement. You know, with with Ben Roethlisberger back, with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and some really good young receivers. I mean, but they've been good on offense, but they haven't been explosive. I mean, if you were to tell me right now, name me one team, I bet there's probably, what, eight teams in the NFL so far this year that haven't scored in the 30s yet this year. If you had told me the Pittsburgh Steelers with Roethlisberger looking like classic Big Ben health-wise, we're going to be one of those teams that, you know, their highest point total so far is 28. It just sounds weird when everybody else is scoring at a record clip. It just sounds weird to me. So I really like the Steelers. I think the Steelers have a chance to be there at the end and to fight and scratch and claw the Ravens. For the division title, which was kind of far-fetched a month ago. But I really like their defense. And I like their defense because it doesn't rely on one weapon. Bud Dupree, the huge star in the first week 
against the Giants. Since then, clearly, you know, uh, Hayward and Watt have both been at times dominant, especially T.J. Watt. So I really like the Steelers to get better as the year goes on, hopefully for them, okay? They get 16 games out of Big Ben because if they don't, then they're just a member of the pack. And and I, I wonder how much they benefited from the unscheduled bye to the extent that they practiced all week. It's kind of like a little reconvening of training camp, right? Now they didn't know they were preparing for the Titans, but still you're practicing, you're in your routine, you're getting more reps in for a team that didn't have preseason games, for a team that's working Ben Roethlisberger back into the mix and that really hasn't clicked. I mean, they could have lost to the Giants. They could have lost to the Broncos. They could have lost to the Texans. They have not been that team that we thought they'd be from the standpoint of winning games easily against bad teams. And let's face it, they face three bad teams. This is their opportunity to really show that they can dominate because the Eagles clearly not one of the better teams in the NFL. They're feeling good about themselves after beating the 49ers on Sunday night. But, you know, that offense for Pittsburgh, we need to see more. And defensively, Peter, let's flip it over to the Eagles now. Carson Wentz running a lot this year. Carson Wentz throwing caution to the wind. The one team you don't want to do that against is the Pittsburgh Steelers because they will come and they will get you. You know, here's the thing about the Steelers, too. You know, if you look at their schedule, who would have ever thought in the first six weeks of the season that their toughest game would be the Cleveland Browns? But that's who they face next week. They have a really, really interesting stretch after they play Philly. Cleveland, Tennessee, Baltimore. You know, and and that to me is really going to tell the tale of this team. By the midpoint of this season, we're going to know everything we need to know about the Steelers. Then it's going to be all about Ben Roethlisberger's health. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And isn't it odd to think that the the, the Steelers and the Browns is a big game? I mean, Steelers fans are accustomed it's, it's going to be to, a huge to game. decades, decades of peering down their noses. At the Browns. But when you look at the all-time series, 76-59-1. Now, it goes back years. It goes back years before the Steelers were ever any good. I'm I'm guessing over the past 50 years, the wins have favored the Steelers. But the Steelers fans just look at the Browns as just, it's a tune-up game. Man, we, you know, and now, now, twice this year, they're going to have to be dealing with a Browns team that, that could beat them, both in Pittsburgh and and in Cleveland if it comes down to it. So important game this weekend for the Steelers to, to get back on the field, get on the right track, and get a win that isn't, you know, one score, feels like it could have gone either way because they're going to be playing some good teams soon, starting with, and it's hard to articulate these words, the very good Cleveland Browns. All right, speaking of the Browns, 3-1, <laughs> hosting the Colts, 3-1. and one. And the Colts are very good. The Colts playing defense, arguably better than anyone else. I watched that Colts-Bears game, how they stymied the Chicago offense the entire game. They had three points until the final minute Chicago did. Do we do – look, I think both teams can make the playoffs. Do you see either of these teams as a team that could go toe-to-toe with the best teams in the conference? I don't yet, but – you know, Mike, uh, it's October 9th. You're not the same team uh, on December 9th as you are on October 9th. So, you know, you develop your team. Philip Rivers developing a rapport with a bunch of new guys that until, you know, two months ago he never played with before. So, and never practiced with before, quite honestly. So, you know, let's see how that develops. And, You've noticed one thing about the Colts that I think is really interesting. So Chris Ballard, you know, as a, as a roster builder, is always going to flood his roster with defensive linemen. It's his position. Andy Reid loves the offensive linemen. Chris Ballard loves the defensive linemen. And I think when you see DeForest Buckner still sort of getting used to this scheme, and you see Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, getting used to how to plug people in to new spots, all sort of centered around the orbit, the same way the Seahawks center around Bobby Wagner. 
The Indianapolis Colts, their orbit revolves around, obviously, Darius Leonard. They've had a great start. In particular, you know what stat right there that is really, really good is the third down percentage. Because today, in today's football, where everything is explosive and the third down percentage is somewhere in the mid-40s, to have a third down percentage with your team less than one in three is phenomenal. Matt Eberflus right now, Mike, is really uh, putting out his resume for everybody to see. So don't necessarily just hand out all these head coaching jobs after this season and don't include Matt Eberflus on your interview list. Speaking of Darius Leonard, the heart and soul of that defense, he did not practice Wednesday or Thursday with a groin injury. He said yesterday he can play even if he doesn't practice at all this week. That may be a signal we're not going to see him practice today, and he probably ends up with that questionable label going into Sunday. They definitely need him, or it becomes a lot harder to win. And the Browns flipping it around. I'm still amazed that Nick Chubb had 43 yards rushing before he injured his knee. And the Browns still had 307 rushing yards. And with the game on the line and four-minute offense in operation, Kevin Stefanski knew, I got to give it to Odell Beckham Jr. And I expect we're going to see more of that. And Stefanski said after the game, I'm challenging myself to to get the ball in his hands earlier. And uh, they're going to need that if they want to have a chance to beat the good teams. And now they've got two straight weeks of good teams, Colts and Steelers. We'll learn a lot about the Browns over the next two weekends, Peter. Look, you know what? What This occurred to me, and I, I, I had a good conversation with Stefanski after the game Sunday. Um, I think one of the things that Kevin Stefanski has done is he has looked at his roster, Mike, and he has said, I think mentally he's got it in his head that every week I am getting the ball early or going to attempt to get the ball early to Odell Beckham Jr. Now, you notice, Mike, he only got seven touches in that game. And you say, man, they got to give him more, more touches. But the difference is he got touches early and he was still in it late when he made that incredible run around Alden Smith uh, and made that 50-yard touchdown run, which probably was like 98 yards that he actually ran, uh, 50 scrimmage yards, though. There's one other point I would make about these Browns. When Chubb goes out of the game, what happens? Do you see any drop-off at all? No. Mike, they put in a guy named Dearness Johnson, a free agent from Immokalee, Florida, undrafted free agent from South Florida. Immokalee, Florida, if that sounds familiar, that's Edger and James' hometown. And he comes in, 13 carries, 95 yards. And the reason why I bring him up is that I think one of the things that this team has done, going back, honestly, uh, not just Andrew Barry, the current GM, but they have been adding quality depth players. Going back to John Dorsey, they've been adding quality depth players to this team that you're now seeing this is bearing fruit. You lose Chubb, you put in Johnson, and you do not miss a beat. Yeah, and it's a testament to what Kevin Stefanski is doing. It all comes down to getting the hand, getting the ball in the hands of your best players. And it doesn't have to be difficult. If you want to get the ball in Odo Beckham Jr.'s hands, you don't have to force it to him 30 yards down the field. You can get him a screen pass. You can do an end around. You can do the things they did just to get, get him in that spot where he's got the ball and the other team has to try to catch him. And a lot of times, the other team is not successful. All right, Raiders and Chiefs. Chiefs look flat. On Monday night. Maybe that had something to do with Bill Belichick and the Patriots defense. Raiders come to town. Raiders have lost two in a row after starting the season 2-0. and Is this a bounce back for the Chiefs? Is this going to be one of those the Raiders wish they hadn't shown up type of games? Um, Mike, I, you know, I, I, I think one of the reasons why um, I think that opinions get changed so much early in the season is that you just need to see a team play a little bit more. Like, I, I, how do you not love the Chiefs? You got to love the Chiefs. They're probably the best team in football. Okay, but two times out of four games, they have just stumbled around on offense. You know, against the Chargers, 
They had to go to overtime against a kid making his first NFL start and then against the Patriots. Now, ESPN's graphic I thought was wonderful on Monday night when they said that there have been three first halves in his career, you know, that Mahomes has been held in check. I think it was either he's been shut out or, you know, he's had no touchdowns. And all three have come against uh, the Patriots. So I kind of look at the Chiefs and say, I want to see a little bit more. I want to see them sustain drives a little bit more against defenses. Paul Gunther has done nothing this offseason, I think, except over and over look at the Kansas City Chiefs. This is our biggest competitor. We have got to find a way as a Raider defense to solve Mahomes. And honestly, Mike, who isn't doing that this offseason? So I think I really want to see Patrick Mahomes come out and dominate a team uh, that has a chance to be pretty good because two out of four games so far this year, they haven't dominated. And when you look at their schedule this year, it really sets up for them to have a special season, no matter how good they are or aren't. And maybe they don't get really tested until the postseason. They've got the week six game at Buffalo, which is a real test, obviously. And one of the great games of of the week and great games of the year so far. And, and it's a shame that we won't get to enjoy it standing alone in primetime if it bumps to Sunday. But you look at their schedule beyond that. Broncos, Jets, Panthers. Raiders again. They play the Buccaneers week 12 in Tampa. That's one that you circle. Broncos, Dolphins, Saints in New Orleans. You circle that one. Out of the next 12 games, there's only three that you circle, Peter. And and the rest of them, they should win. They should go at, at 4-0. They should be 13-3 at the very minimum. The question is, what do they do in those three games that we would circle? Bills, Bucks, and Saints all on the road. Yeah, and I think the big question is, you know, and, and, and I keep wondering this about sort of the long-term way that this season is going to go, Mike, because, and I realize I'm taking a little bit of a 180, but I did not want to exit this show without getting your opinion on this. If the NFL chooses, chooses to add a week 18, and I think they really do not want to do that, Okay. But if they choose to do a week 18, how much does that impact the number one seed in the NFC and the number one seed in the AFC? And I ask the question because the number one seeds, you work all year, you work your rear end off to be the number one seed. Can you imagine if your reward is, oh, by the way, you're off for three weeks? I mean, that's, I've got a there's solution. a lot of unfair I've, things about this year. Go ahead. I've got a solution. The solution comes from our mutual friend, Chris Mad Dog Russo. I was on him, with him the other day, and I was blown away by the simplicity of this, and it's one of those things where, damn it, I wish I'd thought of it. His idea is if you have a week 18, if you have a makeup week, you make that week 17, and you bump week 17 to week 18. So you don't have three weeks for the team that, that, that earns the buy in each conference, and your season still has that crescendo of action with everyone playing on Sunday, and we figure out all the seeding and all the playoff teams. So there, the week 18 is really week 17, and the makeup week is week 17. What do you think of that? Well, I guess I would ask two questions. What if there's only three games in week 18? And... Which becomes week 17. So it's January 3rd. You turn on the TV. And are you saying that that uh, even teams that have nothing to play for have this bye and now they got to hang around for an extra week? And I'm not saying, hey, look, I heard this the other day, Mike, and I actually think that it has a lot of merit. So I'm not killing it. All I'm saying is that the practical parts of it are a little bit weird. You know, you wake up on Sunday morning, January 3rd, in what should be a really big day of football. You're reaching a crescendo, and it's a lead balloon. You got three games, and who knows? What if a couple of these games are Jets-Dolphins, you know, or, or, you know, games that literally have no meaning whatsoever? So 
I don't know. It's interesting, and I don't I don't dismiss it out of hand, but I think that it's certainly not ideal. Well, and here's the other thing too, and there's you've got some flexibility with what you can do because fans aren't going to be at most of these games. You can bump games around. You can we're already seeing them move the chess pieces willy nilly. If it gets to the point where there are multiple games that are postponed, that would suggest we've reached a point where it's time to break glass in event of emergency and put all the teams in home market bubbles. Like if we get to the point where there's that, you know, two, three, four, five, six games that have to be rescheduled, that means we've had more outbreaks. That means they've been un- unable to fix it just by moving games to Monday or Tuesday or, or whenever they can fit them in. So if you're in a bubble... At that point, I think what you could do is you could do the makeup games whenever you want. You could do the makeup games first week of December if you want to and push everything back a week so those games that would otherwise seem meaningless if you tack them on at the end of the season to the teams that are done or if you do them in week 17 when it's the, the Dolphins or the Jets. and that, you, you do it in early December. Most teams are still alive in early December. So there's different places you can drop the makeup week. And if you are in a bubble and the bubble's working, you don't have to worry about factoring in the possibility of other games being postponed. You can be confident that you're going to pull it off. So I, I think that I hope it doesn't come to it. But if it does, I think that I agree with the Mad Dog that we shouldn't just tack them on to the end of the season, that we should still find a way that the final Sunday of the season, whenever it is, is still the same final Sunday of the season that it always is with everyone playing on the same day. So we'll see how that all plays out. All right, we're going to rip through some of the Week 5 games, fill-in-the-blank style. When P- oh, Peter, you got something to add? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, all right, all right. Matt, Matt Casey misread your body language. Um, week 5, fill-in-the-blank, when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, let's see how the new coaches are doing at the quarter poll, really. Quarter, it's not. Somebody's trying to mess with me. It's not the quarter poll when you play the quarter of the season. It's not. Stop it. It's not the quarter poll. The quarter poll is when you have a quarter of the season left. All right, anyway. Kevin Stefanski's 3-1, and one, which is a surprise. Matt Rule at 2-2 two and two is a huge surprise. Look, we're on the other side of it. Should Mike McCarthy be 1-3? and three? No. Joe Judge 0-4? I, 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 I'm not surprised. Washington, they, they, they got a lot of building to do. But the Matt Rule and the Panthers at 2-2, two and two, Peter, and they haven't been embarrassed in any of the games they lost. They almost beat the Raiders. They held close to the Buccaneers. They've shown that you can rebuild without being horrible. You can still contend. I think they're going to beat the Falcons this weekend to go to 3-2. and two. They're a factor in the wild card race in the the NFC and frankly they may be in a three-way tie for first place by the time this this weekend ends Saints three and two Bucks three and two Panthers three and two just imagine you know when the Carolina Panthers left week two and they have lost Christian McCaffrey for four to six weeks hey just imagine what are you thinking then oh my god we're getting the first pick in the draft Trevor Lawrence, what are we doing? And since then, they have managed two games exceedingly well. And what I mean by manage the games, I think they've played each one very much differently. You know, they go out and play the Chargers, and then obviously they come back home. But my biggest point about my conversation with Matt Rule, and I think the reason why people around Carolina are, are right now thinking that this guy is really special. And I'm going to tell you just a really weird story, Mike, that that really says a lot about Matt Rule. Matt Rule has a guy, we may have talked about this in training camp, he's got a horn guy, okay? And in every one of their practices, in every one of their uh, times when they are together, in the same room or in the same area, Horn guy, every nine minutes, blows the horn. Why does he do that? Because he wants everybody to understand, okay, you got to move around. Change because the CDC has said the guideline is close contact with somebody who has COVID for 15 minutes or longer. And so he shakes it up. 
And as somebody in the organization told me the other day, that is just a perfect example about how he looks at problems and he says, let's think of the best way to solve them. Like he looks at a problem in his running game, no McCaffrey, and he goes, you know what? Maybe what we ought to do now is we ought to design a few more runs for the quarterback because nobody's expecting him to run. And then Teddy Bridgewater runs for a touchdown and maybe has the best game since he, uh, you know, obviously went down with a dev devastating knee injury four years ago. And I just think I like Carolina because I think they think about problems and try to find solutions that are not necessarily customary. All right, let's get to it then. Fill in the blank, and Carolina is the first topic. Their two and two start is what? Utterly surprising from the standpoint of personnel and everything. They lose Keekly. They, you know, they lose Cam. They lose McCaffrey now in, in you know, with an injury, and they're two and zero oh since. So I'd say utterly surprising. Yeah, and I agree with you. I never would have expected this. I, I, you know, when they when they came close to beating the Raiders, it's like maybe the Raiders just aren't very good, right? But but when they when they uh, rattle off back to back wins, uh, games they should have lost without Christian McCaffrey, it just makes me wonder where this thing's going and how much better they'll be when McCaffrey comes back. Unlike a lot of those week two injuries that were season ending, McCaffrey's isn't. He'll be back and they'll be far better off for it. All right, Ron Rivera's decision to bench Washington quarterback Dwayne Haskins for Kyle Allen is what? Unconventional, yet, in my opinion, inspiring. And the reason is that everybody would say, hey, listen, you've got to be able to give Dwayne Haskins a fair shot. You've got to see what he can do this year so you know whether you have your quarterback in 2021. And you know what? If the Dallas Cowboys were 4-0 right now, I bet that's what he would do. I bet he would not have made that change this week. But in going to Kyle Allen, he's going to a guy. And, hey, Matt, do we have the schedule of the Washington football team? I mean, I hate using that. Do we have Washington's schedule that we could put on the screen? Because if we do, I want you to look at the next six games for Washington. Because all of those games with the possible exception of this week hosting the Rams. Now, that is a really, really tough game, but maybe you have to count on the Rams coming to the East Coast three separate occasions in the first five weeks. But then I want you to look at the next five games. At the Giants, Cowboys at home, at, you know, Giants at home, then at the Lions, and then the Bengals. So... If you're Ron Rivera and you look at this schedule, you have to say, why not us? And what quarterback are they most comfortable that gives them the best chance to win this week? It's not Dwayne Haskins. It's Kyle Allen who knows this offense better and who is more at one uh, with uh, offensive coordinator Scott Turner. And I'm going to say it's temporary because I think this is just a stepping stone to Alex Smith being back on the field. And that would be the final scene of the Disney movie that is destined to be made about everything Alex Smith has been through over the past couple of years to come back from that badly broken leg with the infection that nearly resulted in amputation and death for, for Alex Smith to fight back, to come back. And, and I think one of the reasons he's not already the starter they, they just want to be, they, they just want to be sure they want to be a hundred percent sure that he can protect himself when they put him out there on the field and uh they just give it a little more time and a little more time but you know Kyle Allen got benched late last year because he wasn't getting it done for Carolina this is a band-aid until Alex Smith is ready but they didn't want to give Dwayne Haskins any more reps because they just weren't comfortable with his performance in the system that will be the system for as long as Ron Rivera is there all right Peter what do you got Mike, the one thing that I think is really interesting about what you just said, I agree with you. I do think at some point Alex Smith is going to take the field for Washington this year. And when he does, the first snap that he takes, Alex Smith will win my vote for comeback player of the year. I can't, if he plays one snap, 
he will get my vote for comeback player of the year because nobody, in my opinion, I've covered the NFL for 36 years. Never in my life have I seen a player come back from an injury as devastating as Alex Smith has. And in my opinion, we can't applaud the guy enough. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. No matter what he does, just the mere fact of being in uniform, crossing the thick white stripe and entering the field again, when the last time you were there, look at what happened to you. Why do you even want to do it to muster the will and the desire? It shows his passion for the sport, his determination. It's inspiring. And you're right. I, I could say you could make the argument you should get the vote now. But if he gets on the field, I agree with you. He definitely should get every vote for comeback player of the year. All right. If the Cowboys can't beat the Giants, what? Um, I think they might have to fire Mike Nolan. Um, and I don't say that lightly, but, you know, and obviously, Mike, neither of us are PFF tape gurus, okay? But this past week, you're starting to see the tape gurus saying, man, Dallas not giving a full effort on, on defense. You know, some of those guys look like they're either in a fog, confused, not giving full effort, and, you know, to me, it's time for Mike McCarthy this week to walk down the, uh, the hallway, stick his head into Mike Nolan's office and say, hey, Mike, you got to simplify things. You got to get our players to just simply be out there playing football, reacting. We're too good uh, to not, uh, you know, to be playing this way. But I will say one other thing. When everybody on the Cowboys was talking about, hey, let's go get Earl Thomas, I kept saying, you know, in my little apartment in Brooklyn. Well, wait a second. You don't need Earl Thomas. Go talk Snacks Harrison into coming to play for you. Pay him whatever it takes, even though you're snug up against the cap anyway. And you know what? John Schneider, the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks, recognized that he needed Snacks Harrison. And I don't know whether the Cowboys went far down the road with him or not, but they absolutely should have because this is a team that, I mean, just look at that, 172 rushing yards a game. That's disgraceful. And the Cowboys have to turn it around. And look, this is a great week to play the Giants. The New York Giants have played four games this year. They haven't scored 17 points yet. So you would think, you watch this game, if Daniel Jones riddles these guys, if Devontae Freeman or Wayne Gallman, you know, rushes for 80 or 100, there has got to be a day of reckoning on Monday morning uh, in Frisco, Texas at the Star. Especially since it's Jason Garrett running that offense. That makes it even worse. That raises the stakes. And I agree with you. I think Mike Nolan's going to be out if they lose this game. I think Jerry Jones will have read the riot act to everyone. And it doesn't take a tape guru to watch the Odell Beckham Jr. touchdown run that iced the game and pick out the loaves of bread on the Dallas side of the equation. <laughs> the guys not giving effort to try to go tackle Odell Beckham Jr. or at least knock him out of bounds. There's five or six guys that aren't going all out. I don't know if they just thought Alden Smith's going to tackle him in the backfield and we shut down. Oh, no, he got away. And then they never kick in the go tackle the guy, Gene. But uh, that's not acceptable. And you're right. And, and, you know, the separate question is, why do you even hire Mike Nolan to run the defense when he's going to use a system that doesn't fit the guys you have? That's the head scratcher, and that falls on Mike McCarthy's lap. So problems in Dallas, again, they have the talent every year, but there's always an issue when it comes to getting the most out of it and winning football games. All right, last one real quickly. Lamar Jackson's knee injury, which has kept him from practicing both Wednesday and Thursday of this week, is what, Peter? I would call it troublesome for the quarter pole, your favorite term, for the quarter pole of the season. And it's because, look, every week the Baltimore Ravens play with fire. They don't like to talk about it, but they do. Lamar Jackson runs a lot. And last year, hey, happy days are here again. He set the all-time record for rushing yards by a quarterback in one season. And hey, he was terrific. Totally deserve to be unanimous MVP. Everything is great. But that doesn't mean that every year that Lamar Jackson plays, uh, 
that he's going to have no physical problems with exposing himself to a lot of hard hits beyond the line of scrimmage. I'm not even suggesting right now, Mike, that he change. I'm simply suggesting this is simply a cost of doing business for uh, John Harbaugh, Greg Roman, and Lamar Jackson. If this is the way you want to play on offense, then Lamar Jackson having a bum knee on October 9th is going to be what's going to happen. It might not happen every year, but it's going to happen some years. Yeah, I call it alarming because it isn't all that hard to scrape together enough activity at practice to justify putting him down as a limited participant, which sends far less dramatic red flags up than not practicing at all. It, it Again, you don't have to do much to be limited. And for him to not be practicing at all tells me they're doing everything they can to work on that knee, to treat that knee, to get the knee ready to go on Sunday when they host the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, which could become one hell of a rivalry if the Bengals can put some players around their first overall pick in the draft. All right, we have time for our last one. Your expectations for Joe Flacco's first start as a member of the New York Jets are what, Peter? Exceedingly low. (laughs) I I mean, I think the players around Joe Flacco make the expectations what they are. That plus the fact that you watch him play quarterback in Denver last year, and, you know, he looks slow. Um, you know, he's not necessarily a problem solver uh, in, in, a, in a football game right now. And especially when he doesn't have great weapons. And to say the Jets don't have great weapons is like saying I'm 20 pounds overweight. No, duh. And so I kind of look at this right now and say, it's nice that they have an experienced guy to be a backup instead of a practice squad player. That's great. Good for the Jets, but I don't think it means that they're going to come close to winning this game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's just too many problems, too many issues, and they've got six more games until they're by, and uh, I, I can't find the win between now and the point where it seems inevitable that they're going to pull the plug on what's happening in New York. All right, quick break. Week five, show me something draft coming up next right here on Pro Football Talk. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Jimmy looks very handsome um, out on the field. Still got a rocket arm. Um, and He's still throwing me the ball, which is a good thing. So I'm excited about those three things. Yeah, I thought uh, George Kittle maybe having second thoughts about Jimmy Garoppolo. He was targeted 15 times and had 15 catches last week without Garoppolo, but Garoppolo working his way back to health, and the 49ers desperately need him. All right, it's week five. Show me something draft time. Peter, I've got a trivia question for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Kyle Allen will be the 30th different starting quarterback for the Washington franchise since 1993. Name the two teams who have had more than 30 starting quarterbacks since 1993. That's amazing. That is, I'm amazed that, that there have been two teams. Um, I am going to say uh, 
Jacksonville and the New York Jets. Oh. I thought you'd get Cleveland. I thought Cleveland would be easy because of that mannequin that had the jersey. I, I, the reason the why mannequins. I eliminated Cleveland is that they were they didn't play for four years. Even it making makes that even yeah. more amazing that they're number one, Chicago with thirty two as they continue to look for their next franchise quarterback. Maybe they have one in Nick Foles. Maybe Nick Foles is finally the guy who picks up the torch of Jim McMahon or arguably Sid Luckman. All right, show me something draft. Plenty to choose from this weekend. I'm going to start with our Sunday night game. Look, it's prime time. It's going to be dark in Seattle. We know Kirk Cousins' history playing under the lights. He gets a break this time around, though. It seems like they go to Seattle every year, like they're in the same division or something. They're back again. Mike Zimmer's never beaten Seattle. Kirk Cousins is going to a place where they just get smothered every year. This year, it could be different. This year, it's going to be a shootout, I think. This year, the offense has a chance to score some points. Now, look, the Vikings may get outscored by the Seattle Seahawks, but there's no excuse for Kirk Cousins to not have a big game against a porous Seattle defense with no fans there to set the Richter scale rocking you know, all throughout greater Seattle. So if Kirk Cousins is ever going to reverse the primetime narrative against a good team, he kind of reversed it last year against the Cowboys, but they weren't very good. The Seahawks are undefeated. This is his chance to prove to everyone that he can step up in a big spot at night and get it done, Peter. For Minnesota to have a chance to win this game, Mike, in my opinion, Adam Thielen's got to have a 150-yard receiving day because he's going to be playing a suspect secondary with corners you can throw on. And if uh, Kirk Cousins doesn't take advantage of the matchups that, uh, you know, that Adam Thielen will present against the Seattle secondary, I don't think they've got a chance to win. All right, you're up. What do you got? Well, here would be my biggest question about sort of this weekend of football, Mike. Here's, and here it is. So the Cleveland Browns are what? I mean, I, I'm just, I'm totally fascinated by the Cleveland Browns. What are they and how good are they? Yeah, and I think, you know, I give, I give Sims a hard time for picking an entire team, but I can't fault you for that because this is a total team effort and an opportunity to push back against an early season narrative that the Colts are pretty damn good. This is the Browns' chance to step up both this week and next week and show what they have. All right, next one for me, J.J. Watt. To the extent that there was a feud with Bill O'Brien and J.J. Watt wins and Bill O'Brien's out and there were reports suggesting that you know Bill O'Brien, who he got in verbal altercations with people the final weeks on the job. Well, he always got in verbal altercations with people, but apparently it finally reached critical mass. J.J. Watt reportedly at the center of it. J.J., you got what you wanted. Now it's time to step up and do something with that defense against the Jacksonville team that that uh, should be a team they should they can handle and limit in scoring enough that they can win the game. So I want to see what J.J. Watt and the rest of the Texans' defense can do this weekend, Peter, in the first game without Bill O'Brien since he was hired seven years ago. I almost want to say, Jack Easterby, what do you got? But that's a little bit too inside baseball or inside football right now. So I'm going to give you this one. This is the one that I'm, you know, after the Browns this weekend, I'm most curious about. What do you got, Daniel Jones? Okay, seven turnovers in four games. You have not scored 17 points yet. I understand your offensive line stinks. But in the span of one month, you not only have put Dave Gettleman absolutely unequivocally on borrowed time, but in addition, you may be starting to put yourself on borrowed time. And again, it's way too early to suggest that Daniel Jones might not be the quarterback long-term. But this is a year he's got to grow. This is a year he's got to develop. He's not cured his turnover bug, and he's not done anything to lift a bad offense. And great players lift bad units. He did that last year when he took over as quarterback for Eli Manning. He's not doing it this year. That simply must change, Mike.
Hey, Peter, the clock ran out on Dwayne Haskins in Washington with a new coaching staff. The clock could run out on Daniel Jones in New York with a new coaching staff as well. Next one for me, and I'm going to do this because you went with the entire Browns organization. I'm going to go with the entire Titans organization. Show me something, or more accurately, show me nothing. Show me no new positive tests over the course of the next few days. Show me that you've gotten this outbreak under control. And show me that you're going to comply with all protocols and requirements going forward. It really is stunning that any NFL team has gotten itself into such a mess. And the more we hear about it, and we talked about it earlier in the show, it's mind-boggling that they've jeopardized their season. And that, Peter, I think that there may be, I don't know this, could be a late afternoon Friday news dump coming with news is what the NFL is going to do to the Titans. But uh, show me that you can actually get a game in because if this weekend's game goes away as well, uh, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. Show me something, Roger Goodell. And what I mean by this is when you you issue your sanction against the Tennessee Titans. Make it not only hurt the Tennessee Titans, but shine a very bright light on all other, uh, the other 31 teams in the NFL and say to each one of them, you think this was bad? If your team screws up like this, I'm going to make it worse. I'm going to make it hurt. And I'm going to start involving forfeits. Yeah, I still don't know what they're going to do about forfeits, Peter. There's an there's an issue out there as to whether or not the players would get paid in the event of forfeits because the NFLPA has only agreed that players don't get paid for games that are canceled or suspended. A forfeit technically counts as a game. The, the final score of a forfeited game is 2 nothing, and it goes into the standings. I think the NFL is going to use forfeit as the absolute last resort if they think they have to pay the players. Yeah, it, to me, this is more important than that. You know, and if it's going to cost a team some, some money, especially a team that, that has to forfeit, and particularly the team that gets disadvantaged by the forfeit Now we have to decide how that team is going to get paid. Well, maybe the team that caused the forfeit pays the salary that week of the team that didn't cause the forfeit. That would be another deterrent. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll see you later this afternoon for PFT PM and Monday for PFT Live. Have a great weekend. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.